You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. ABC Tonight. Special Agent Will Trent. Judge Bureau Investigation. I told him I'd bring my best. Will sees things that no one else does. Based on the New York Times bestselling series. Why Will Trent? He's good police. And he's objectively hot. See crime. Put on Amber Alert. There's a kidnapping. Through his eyes. He read that crime scene like it was a book. Ramon Rodriguez is. I'm a pretty observant guy. Will Trent. Series premiere tonight, tonight central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Is Beetlejuice the ghost of Batman? Could the upside down from Stranger Things involve some sort of alternate timeline? You'll hear these discussions later in the show, but first, let's find out if Jimi Hendrix is actually Music Man Stan from Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Hey there, and welcome to Fan Theory Queries, where we analyze fan theories from all over the internet, but mostly Reddit. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. Do you guys know who Music Man Stan is? Yes. The Music Man? (laughs) Yes. Spencer knows him more from, like, the classic Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood TV show, right, Spencer? No. Oh, I thought you did. I don't remember. So, he actually only appeared, according to the internet, he only appeared in one episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was a Uh, Christmas special or whatever. But for those listeners that don't know who who Music Man Stan is, in the kids' show, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which is an animated spinoff of the beloved Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Music Man Stan is the husband of Lady Elaine Fairchild and father of Miss Elena. He operates a neighborhood music shop and plays with Baker Acre in a band called Bread and Jam. On top of that, he's also a firefighter in his neighborhood. So, very jack-of-all-trades kind of kind of guy. With that knowledge, my theory for this episode is that Music Man Stan is actually Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> nice. Take. This, comes, this comes from user CPT underscore Petrie. Toward the end of the 1960s, Jimi Hendrix had grown deeply intertwined with his drug and alcohol lifestyle. A natural consequence of that life is to be surrounded by people who aren't exactly the best crowd. By the summer of 1970, one can believe he was a witness to a horrible crime, maybe even a murder. And with his position as a celebrity, it's easy to see how dangerous this could be for him. After contemplation, he decides to make the difficult decision to tell the police what he knows. The FBI gets involved and decides the safest course of action is to enroll Jimmy into the Witness Protection Program. On the morning of September 18, 1970, the world was shocked by the news of the quote-unquote death of Jimi Hendrix. The world of music was never the same again. Behind the scenes, though, the FBI arranged his safe passage to where he would be safe. The land of make-believe. <laughs> he was given his new persona, Music Man Stan, as well as his own music shop where he could live a life surrounded by what he loved most. Of course, the terms of the agreement required mandatory drug re- rehabilitation, which, while reluctant, he agreed and succeeded in doing. Once settled, he met a lovely woman by the name of Lady Elaine, and the rest is history. Too long didn't read... Music Man Stan is Jimi Hendrix and the Witness Protection Program. Oh, that's okay. that's kind of sweet. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah, we we know uh, plenty about Daniel Tiger's neighborhood in our house. Yeah, that was quite the teaching tool in our household. More so with Emma, our oldest daughter, than our mm-hmm. younger one. Yeah, we just yell at her. <laughs> it was just fresher and and more new. For our older daughter to be watching it, plus she was an only child. So then yeah. by the time the little sister came around, big sister kind of got to dictate more of what they watched. And she was over Daniel Tiger by the time little sister came around. But mm-hmm. oof, we used to sing those songs all the time. <laughs> and her, the little They teach lessons to kids each episode by having a handy dandy little song that you can sing. And I think we drove Emma nuts with... Uh, <laughs> Try to solve a problem yourself, and you'll feel proud. <laughs> or the classic, if you have to go potty, stop, stop and go right, right away. Flush and wash and be on your way. way. 
Yep. Well, or my favorite is when you're sick, rest is best. Rest is best. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I honestly have never watched Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, but I was raised on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, so I I understand the values that were grandfathered into this new show and mm-hmm. appreciate it's on the legacy. Yeah, yeah, because for me, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was, it was so great. It was a big part in the person I've become today, so I, this holds a special place in my heart. What do you, I will say, what do you think yeah. about that last sentence about, when settled, he met a lovely woman by the name of Lady Elaine? Because she wasn't that, the same character in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood that she is in Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Okay, I didn't know that she was Wasn't different she in like Daniel the Tiger's Neighborhood. She was, like, mean in... Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, there's no mean people on Daniel mm-hmm. Tiger's Neighborhood. Everyone's nice. King Friday is nice. Gotcha. Lady Elaine is nice. They're all nice and friendly and happy, and they sing the songs. Everybody is so nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, whenever I, whenever I read this theory, I just assumed that... When Lady Elaine met Music Man Stan, that was what she needed to kind of turn her life around mm. and, and become like a good person. You That's know, nice. and he made her better. So <laughs> I just did a little looking because I didn't remember. So in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, mm-hmm. he there's a character by the name of the Music Man who is a musical magician found in the dreams of Francois Clemens. And he only appears once in the Christmas time with Mr. Rogers episode yeah. performed by Stanley clay. And on this particular website called neighborhood archive.com, mm-hmm. they say under notes, not to be confused with music man, Stan from Daniel tiger's neighborhood, mm. which is interesting. Okay. Well, still, I don't know. Like I could think, I mean, make the connection that, they they both have big afros and and well stuff, and can I ask so. a question? Does it yeah. list on there what year that Christmas special aired? Seventy seven. Okay, see that makes sense to me. They would have linked Music Man Stan with the Music Man because his style, his aesthetic on Daniel mm-hmm. Tiger's Neighborhood is very seventies. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you can pretty much say every character. I don't know about Baker Acre, but. Every character is linked to someone from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood and they'll Yeah. Yeah, in the land of make believe. Yeah, so for me, like I I really do like this theory, uh, not just because of the nostalgic aspect of it, but it makes sense to me, you know, like his the whole thing is that he like changed his life to become music man Stan and we all we all know that Jimi Hendrix famously lit his guitar on fire a lot, <laughs> and at, at, whenever he would finish certain songs, he would do that uh, at his, at his live shows. And uh, he got burned actually a few times and had to go to the hospital for minor burns on a few different occasions. It. So it would make sense that he would want to, in his new life as Music Man Stan, be the antithesis of what he was before. Instead of starting fires, he puts them out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, that's a great connection. Man, you need to go on there and comment yeah. in the official thread about that, Michael. That's a great point to bring up, especially now that he's like sobered up yeah. and everything, you know, that would def- definitely make a big difference as well. All right. So uh, before we continue any further, I would like to read a few of the highlighted comments that we have from this theory from Cujo826. They say, Jimi Hendrix was left handed. Music Man Stan is right-handed. But OP comes back in response to that and says, if you need to hide, you can change everything you need in order to stay hidden. (laughs) And I I would argue as talented, as as much of a a guitar genius as Jimi Hendrix was, I... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he could definitely change hands, I think. 100%. I'm totally behind that. Then Boy and Cat Mom says... There are real-world flaws in this theory, but I'll accept it anyways, because it means Jimmy didn't die tragically. 
So true. And that's what's making yeah, my heart feel I know. happy. I know. That's that's part of the reason why I love this theory. And then the last comment I'll talk about before we move along is from Retro Theorist 2 They say, I almost think Music Man Stan is based on Jimi Hendrix, but I do know that Music Man Stan was real as it was mentioned on Wikipedia. I don't understand. Okay. <laughs> mentioned on Wikipedia? Mm-hmm. They're, they're basically saying, of course it's right, because it was on oh, Wikipedia. Okay. Gotcha. Um, something funny now. is his his appearance in the Christmas time episode is actually Lady Elaine. She has a magic boomerang that causes the neighborhood to be turned upside down, <laughs> and the Music Man is unaffected by her boomerang. Oh, I mean, um, makes sense. Uh, yep. So I'm thinking. I mean, we don't. We're not given a a time setting for Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. The land of make believe is kind of timeless, not in the sense mm-hmm. that yeah. it's ambiguous, but in the sense of it doesn't have. I mean, it's got a castle. It's got a mixture of everything. So it's the land of make believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it exists outside outside of time and space. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I I don't know how what else to say about this. I mean, I think, I mean, there's such heart in it, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know that you need too much to it. I it kind of is sad that Boy and Cat Mom said there are real world flaws in this theory. I want to know what that is. I don't know what. Yeah, that means. what would the? F- yeah, they didn't elaborate, so, well, I, so I don't know what they're talking about. My first, the first thing that kind of flagged for me was a natural consequence of drugs and alcohol is to be surrounded by people who aren't exactly the best crowd. That's not necessarily the case. That's true. And also for me, it was the whole, like while you're, when you're surrounded by this type of people, you're probably going to witness a murder. Right. That that's, not a, that's not a guarantee. <laughs> no. I mean, that's, that is not a logical sooner or later thinking. Yeah. That was honestly the only thing that I really it's, kind of had fault with in the original theory, but it's, it makes me think of the, while we're talking about kids shows is yeah. the, if you give a mouse a cookie, if you do oh, drugs, gosh. then you'll witness a murder. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, good, man. Spencer. Thank you. Yeah. It oh. wasn't, it, it wasn't enough for me to just completely write off the theory. Mm. Cause I mean, I like, like Laura was saying before, I just, this, this is kind of a heartwarming theory and I like it. So I'll save the rest of my, to say? I'll save the rest of my thoughts for my rating. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's time to rate this theory, but before we do, me, could you go over our rating scale? Yes, me. I'd be happy to. The highest rating that we have is genius. This is reserved for only the best theories, which we believe are better than the actual canon. The next step down is plausible. It's a good theory. It's believable. Unlikely is next. It's not a terrible theory, but pretty unlikely, as the name suggests. And then the last thing is preposterous. These are the theories that are just stupid. Basically, we're all dumber for having listened to them. Wow, me. That was a great job. <laughs> a love fest over there. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'll dive in on rating this. Or should I go? I want to I want to say it's a genius because my heart oh. wants this to be the new canon. <laughs> I want to say genius, but I'm I've gotta I gotta give it a a, a preposterous. Yes, this thank is you. just like what are what are you where where are we going here? What is happening right now? I mean, it's a beautiful thought. What a lovely image to have. But mm, sorry, this is preposterous oh my for me. Goodness, this is extremely preposterous for me. This is I mean, it's not Jimmy Hendrix is not a cartoon. He's a real person. And the one time a guy roughly resembling Music Man Stan shows up, it's one time. It's once. And he doesn't even have a name. And we don't even know how musical he is. <laughs> so Did you did you never see Space Jam? Michael Jordan turned from a real life person into a cartoon, so boom. Did he? <laughs> he was a real person in the cartoon. He would did not turn into a cartoon. Was he animated? No. No, that was I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the terrible Space Jam with LeBron oh. James. He becomes animated. He's animated? Yeah. 
No. He becomes animated whenever he goes into Looney Tune Land or Gross. Warner Brothers Land in that movie because it's all the Warner Brothers properties. It's awful. I'm so glad mm. I didn't see that. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. I got mixed up. I, I was thinking the awful sequel to Space Jam, not the original one. So Now Canada is definitely not going to give us good ratings. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to do an entirely Canada-themed episode sometime just, just for our Canadian listeners. I'm going to have to go genius on this. No, you're not. I absolutely love it. I have no problem. I I don't have any problem with the quote-unquote inconsistencies that you mentioned, Spencer. This is just too much of a heartwarming thing for me. And I I want this to be the actual canon because I love Jimi Hendrix. I loved Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and therefore anything that ties into Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So... Yeah, this one gets genius for me. I have a, a bit of music trivia for you. Let's see if you can okay. answer this question. Who invented the windmill guitar move? Uh, wasn't it the guitarist for The Who? Yes, it was. Now, here's an interesting thing that you may not have known, is that in Woodstock, the infamous concert of 1969, Jimi Hendrix also started doing the windmill guitar move. And it was not as well known at that time and so basically the issue was whoever performed first at Woodstock would be the quote unquote originator of the windmill move and the follow up person band would be the poser, the, the copycat. And so there was kind of big stakes as to the order of the concert and the who won out, they went first. Nice. So Pete <laughs> Townsend gets the credit. Good for him. Well, I'll tell you one thing. A lot of people don't realize that we sell official Fan Theory Queries merch. This isn't that <laughs> cheap, unlicensed knockoff stuff shady street vendors sell. We sell the real deal. It's bona fide. Why do you say people don't realize that? Because no one's bought anything. Hey, that is not true. At least two people have bought something. Oh, yeah? Who? My mom. Okay, yeah, sure, that counts. That's something to be proud of. Gee, thanks, Donna. But I said two people. That means the other person is probably some random listener with no personal ties to any of the three of us, right? I I mean, who else could it be? It's my friend Nathan. You had to ask. Will someone other than my mom and Nathan... Please buy something from us. A shirt, a hoodie, phone case, coffee mug, fanny pack. Heck, we even sell Fan Theory Queries branded leggings for women. Just head to fantheoryqueries.com slash merch and peruse the shop. With several designs featuring our logo and iconic quotes from the show, you're sure to find something that you'll love. My personal favorite is the roll of toilet paper with the phrase, I can do this all day. Yeah, because you said that. Hey, it's my favorite too. Because you're an immature little child who laughs anytime someone says the word poop. <laughs> anyway, moving on. How would you like to challenge your little grey cells while reveling in the vintage perfection of David Suchet's Poirot? If so, then the Labours of Hercule podcast was made for you. We're taking a deep dive into every episode of this masterpiece of television and giving you the clues you need to solve the case along with Poirot himself. We present the case and you solve it. Whether you're a detective in the making... Or if you just simply want to gush over the genius and art decodence of Agatha Christie... Then subscribe now now to the labors of Hercule wherever you get your podcasts. This is another Batman theory because here on this podcast, we do not tire of anything Batman. No, we do not. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say anything Batman. Anything oh. Zack Snyder Batman related, I would tire. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So this theory actually is, it's not going to be entirely about Batman, but we are going to blend him in with something else with a little bit of Beetlejuice. Okay. This theory is that you. Beetlejuice is the ghost of Batman. <laughs> <laughs> This comes from the website Cracked, and it was written by David Lee. Beetlejuice 
is a haunted house story told from the point of view of two ghosts who suck at haunting. <laughs> After the dead Maitlands fail to scare away the hipster family who bought their house, they enlist the help of Beetlejuice, a deranged freelance poltergeist who's also one of the best characters Tim Burton ever created. He's also the ghost of Batman after he was killed by Scarecrow. But <laughs> If you'll look closely, you'll notice they have similar eyes. We know what you're thinking. What are you, nuts? Beetlejuice is a completely different person than Batman. We don't see him fighting crime or even having similar values. And not once does he do that cool thing where he says something and then you look away for half a second and he disappears. <laughs> In fact... <laughs> He seems more like the kind of person Batman would pummel into evil clown pudding while splitting his attention between the fight and reminding Alfred to pick up cold cuts. <laughs> but trust me, that this isn't just the byproduct of binging Michael Keaton movies for three days straight. I actually have a point to make here. I love it already. First, we need you to realize that Tim Burton's Batman and Tim Burton's Beetlejuice take place in the same Bat-Keaton-verse. When Tim Burton left to pursue a career of a coked-up man-math... <laughs> when Tim Burton left to pursue a career as a coked-up man-muppet, Joel what? Schumacher... I don't... What is he referring to? I don't... <laughs> I guess this is referring to when he went to do stuff like Corpse Bride. I don't... I don't know. Um, I mean, Tim Burton's a weird dude. Yeah, <laughs> I love that phrase. Though. Joel Schumacher changed the tone of the franchise from Dark Deco to Cartoon Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Everything from the layout of Gotham City to Batman's jawline became softer and more kid-friendly. <laughs> Harvey Dent got two new faces, neither of which were black. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Billy D. <laughs> because these movies take place in a different universe and the two Keaton Batmans, Batman, stand alone. If the Burton Bat films are one universe, it's likely, or at least possible, that it's the same universe as Beetlejuice. Just look at the fashion. Beetlejuice dressing like Max Shrek helps our theory even more. Hmm. Or the interior design trends. No way there's more than one person who thinks that that looks cool. You know, <laughs> that just iconic Tim Burton, like, black brick, but at really weird sloping angles and stuff. Or just take a look at this shot of Beetlejuice's home from the opening of the Saturday Morning Cartoon Series, which, A, this article reminded me, oh my gosh, I forgot there was a cartoon series, and I totally watched that. But I I wrote in here, I went and looked at the screen grab he had. It's a screenshot of bats in the rafters of Beetlejuice's house, which is similar because he put it side by side with an interior shot of the bat cave from the first Batman movie. So it's similar to the imagery of those bats flying around in the bat cave. Hmm. All right. Continuing with the article. In fact, it's hard to find a shot in the entire movie where Batman would look out of place. He's talking about in Beetlejuice that he could yeah. fit into all that scenery he thinks but cracked this is just because both beetlejuice and batman were directed by tim burton and this dark neo-gothic style was his thing in the 90s are you saying that every 90s tim burton movie takes place in the dc universe not for sure but hey it's possible right <laughs> so yeah beetlejuice is a ghost in the dc universe and the only reason superman didn't save alec and gina from drowning at the beginning of the film is that at the same moment lois lane needed help getting something out of the garbage <laughs> disposal <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh oh, okay now we're getting into the real roots of the theory Okay. Beetlejuice is everything Batman fears. A key part of Beetlejuice mythology is that the way you die affects your existence in the afterlife. And that's why in the waiting room, we see a guy with a chicken bone in his neck and a lady sawed in half from a magic show and a man we affectionately nicknamed Mr. Squished by a Mack truck. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, the only reason the Maitlands aren't walking around like they just climbed out of a sinking car is that Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis are big enough stars to be able to say, hmm. No, I don't want to be soaking wet for this entire shoot. Thanks. <laughs> but Beetlejuice stands out. He has weird clowny makeup. He's rotting, despite the fact that none of the other ghosts seem to decompose. He has no morals whatsoever and loves terrorizing innocent people. Batman, on the other hand, battles evil clowns, refuses to take anyone's life, 
pretends to be a fun-loving playboy in his off time, and uses fear as a weapon in his fight against crime. Beetlejuice is therefore the evil Batman. He's everything the Dark Knight fears, both about himself and the world, rolled into one wacky, loud, prank-happy guy. (laughs) (laughs) So imagine Batman battling the Scarecrow when suddenly the villain manages to douse our hero with his newest concoction, a drug that doesn't just expose you to your fears, but also forces you to perceive yourself as the scariest thing you can imagine. Bruce Wayne then becomes a mishmash of everything he fears, an undead clown who parties hard and can't help but try to destroy families. Then, right as Batman is overcome with the kind of existential terror that can only come from watching yourself transform into the things you hate and fear the most, he dies. Mm, mm -hmm. Which leaves us with the last question. Why the name change? Where does the name Beetlejuice come from? Well, as we see in the movie, he actually spells it Beetlejuice or Beetlegeist like the star. B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. It's his right shoulder. Beetlegeist is a star in the constellation Orion. And Orion, according to legend, died Mm. when he was poisoned by one of his enemies. So here's what happened. A dose of Scarecrow's fear toxin turned Batman into the embodiment of his worst foe ever. Then he rose from the dead to terrorize the innocent as a vengeful poltergeist for hire forever don't forget that the galaxy is on orion's belt (laughs) thank you for the men in black reference you're welcome um seeing as this is a cracked article which funnily enough there was a section underneath there that talked about a comment section but i think that that's a little outdated i'm Mm. thinking they've gotten rid of comment sections on their website and Mm -hmm. have just moved that onto facebook perhaps and there's no Telling how old this article is, I didn't want to go digging through their Facebook to find where this was posted and go look for all of the comments on it. So, this is all up to us, guys. This article is eight years old. Holy smokes, I'm not scrolling through that much Facebook. Right, so, thoughts? What do you think? Oh, I have lots of thoughts. (laughs) I'll go first. I'm not shy. This is hilarious. I love it. I love... This is your kind of theory, Laura, because it is... We're making this connection simply because Michael Keaton is the actor in both of these movies. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's super Not fun. Not simply because of that, but Tim Burton is Tim Burton. on the creative. Okay, and that yep. too. It's super fun to think about. And I like the idea of the story that this might be. But it is also one that is just a bunch of BS. <laughs> like, so if this guy wants any credibility, David first of Lee. all, first of all, don't try to pull one over on me when it comes to Batman movies Stop this guy yourself so seriously I, psh, what are you trying to say that i'm taking myself too serious <laughs> um i mean first of all whether or not this plays into the theory itself he says is this because both beetlejuice and batman were directed by tim burton and this dark neo-gothic style was his thing in the 90s and are you saying that every 90s tim burton movie takes place in the dc universe three two out of the three movies mentioned in this article as part of the theory were not made in the 90s sir only Batman Returns was made in the 90s. It came out in 92. Second thing. But. Second thing. Beetlejuice came out before Batman. Before Michael Keaton. Well, before, um, uh, well, Michael Keaton or Tim Burton. Obviously, I don't know exactly. I would assume before they knew they were doing a Batman movie. In fact, that was a major part of the backlash against Michael Keaton being cast. Mm-hmm. Was because of, they're going, what? Mr. Mom, Beetlejuice is going to be Batman. No, it was Mr. Mom because I'm sure it was oh, yeah, announced. Mr. Mom, it was announced before yeah. Beetlejuice probably came out, and his most wow. famous credit before that was Mr. Mom, and so that was what all the backlash came from. Yeah, like the backlash about from you know Heath Ledger and yes, his most from recent role being Night's Tale or Brokeback Mountain and Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, I will give y'all. A space to give points, Michael. I know you were trying to insert things. Are you done pooping on it? I've got more poop to give, but um, y'all can go ahead. Well, I well, like the different things that he used to connect his connective tissues. Well, and don't get good. me wrong; like I said, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's Spencer. A well, you well, said you I know, were done, but I just want to cover myself. But don't get me wrong; it's a fun theory and is well written and he th- well thought out. But it's clearly has poop on it but go ahead okay you're done 
Go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say, I don't have too much to actually say about this because the theory was pretty well thought out and, and there was a lot of meat to that theory. So I don't know if I could really add too much because if I'm being completely honest, I have never seen Beetlejuice. I just, I don't like Tim Burton. The only thing that I will watch that's Tim Burton is Batman and Batman Returns. Sweet and Todd? No, You've I don't never... like, I don't like Tim Burton's style. I don't like the weirdness. I, he's just too much for me. So yeah, I never watched Beetlejuice, even though I've heard from so many people that it's amazing. It's hilarious. It's fine. If I were to watch a Tim Burton movie that's not Batman, Beetlejuice is probably the one that I would watch someday. But And I think, if anything, if you try to go into it, looking forward most to Michael Keaton's performance. Yeah. So that's the yeah. thing. He yeah. is so good in this. And did you know there are actually there are talks for a sequel? I have heard that, yes. That's what uh, I was going to say was this solidify. I, I honestly, I don't know if I ever have sat and watched the movie from start to finish, I know I've seen bits and pieces. I don't know. Remember what the circumstances were, but just his performance solidifies in my mind, his capabilities of an actor that his Beetlejuice and Birdman. Is that what that name mm-hmm. of the movie was called with Emma stone? Yes. 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 Birdman. That being said, I don't really have much of a problem with this. I love Batman too, but I'm not going to let that, spoil this this theory for me because i think it's fun i i do I really too i more to add yeah i, I love the things that he used like how similar the costuming is which or the parallels between beetlejuice's mm-hmm. striped suit and max mm-hmm. shrek's striped suit yeah. i love the part about beetlejuice the star which is it says beetlejuice beetlegeist on his mm-hmm. headstone that about that being part of Orion, and I, I, I really love that. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, that was a cool detail. I know, I, and those are the kinds of things I really like when you get into that little minute detail. That's the kind of stuff that gets me excited about a theory. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting how he brought it together with it being that he was poisoned by Scarecrow. That's really yeah. fun. Is it? Yeah, it is. Let's make a distinction. Let's, let's, let, me, let me put a thought experiment for both of you. Let's rate this theory based solely on the knowledge that we see from Beetlejuice, Batman, and Batman Returns. How does this theory stand up? There's no Scarecrow in that, mm. so... Mm-hmm. I just have to assume that Michael Keaton's Batman has a Scarecrow running around? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why not? There's, there's a ton of villains in Batman's rogues gallery that we didn't yeah. see in Michael Keaton's exactly. Batman. So why can't they be out there? We have no yeah. confirmation one way or the other if they exist. And we have nothing denying it either. Exactly. That's like saying we're never going to get Scarecrow or Mr. Freeze in Pattinson's Batman movies because we haven't seen him. Well, mm-hmm. but that's you know? still, but, but that, that is not wrapped up. Okay, Burton's, Burton's. we're never going to get a Mr. Well, Freeze in, or Mr. Freeze doesn't exist in the Nolanverse Batman right. movies because we never see him. He doesn't. That's, you can't say that because, like... Also, let's point be out there. that because Michael he's Keaton's not Batman. Batman isn't done yet, remember? Yeah, He's exactly. got another movie coming out. Okay. Who knows? He might. There might be a Scarecrow there. You never know. You never know, but I do, and there's no Scarecrow, <laughs> so this theory has no legs. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess that decides it, and it's probably time to <laughs> rate this. Yeah. You know, oh, I'll Spencer, go ahead and go first. Okay, thank you, Michael. Let's yeah. don't totally kill the mood here. I'm going to I'm gonna start this off on a positive note. I think this is genius. No, it's I not. everything about it. This is my, <laughs> hey, this is my theory, or my rating. I can, I can rate it however I wish. We're muting, um, Spencer. <laughs> I just think this is so much fun. It's Batman doesn't die. I, like like you, Lara. Like you, Lara. I love it whenever we can connect two different characters from completely different movies through these little tiny connections that are little threads that just barely make it from one to the other. But I I love being able to to which do threads? that. And which which threads? The fact that it's Michael Keaton in both. Is that and a thread? Tim Burton and Tim Burton's environment okay. is All present right. in both. Like I said, this is my rating. This is my explanation. May, may I ask a question? 
Go for it. It's not going to change my mind. Okay. Is Christian Bale's character in The Prestige Bruce Wayne in Batman Begins? I don't know. Probably not. But okay. that doesn't... You, you don't have to... Just because we connect two different movies doesn't mean that all movies that are... Where there's an actor that plays different characters in those movies are going to be connected. That's why I'm saying like, that's, that's what's your fun. Main no, l- listen, listen. That's That's what's fun about this is that that there are a few of these where we can find those little threads to connect. And that's what makes it so appealing to me because I know that not every single movie or set of movies where the same actors in both movies are going to connect in some way or another. So it's fun for, for me to find these rare ones that actually do. So I'm sticking with it. Genius. I love it. It's preposterous. Okay. You're done. Need you say more? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's play devil's advocate here. We don't know. Maybe Scarecrow does exist eventually, five years down the line after Batman returns. Oh, look, there's Scarecrow. He does all the spooky things. How do we know that even after that or before that? We don't know. Who is Batman's worst foe ever? The Joker. Is it? In this universe? We don't know. According to your argument, it could be different. We just don't know. Okay. Maybe his worst so what foe does that have is... to do with the theory? The theory is, this person says that Scarecrow's fear toxin turned Batman into the embodiment of his worst foe ever. What if in this particular instance, his worst foe ever is Killer Croc? What if his worst foe ever is Mad Hatter? What if his worst foe ever is Condiment King? I don't know. He would be not Beetlejuice. You can have both ways. It's preposterous. Okay, well, I have a lot of fun with this theory. I think it's really great, and I love Michael Keaton's interpretation of both characters. He's a fantastic actor, and so I'll give it a plausible. I think that it, it is a little... The the only thing that makes me kind of go, eh, I don't know, is when he's like, they have the same eyes. <laughs> <laughs> how, is that any different than, how is that any different than... Connecting them because they're the same actor. They have the same eyes because they're the same actor. I don't understand. That's why I'm going to give this a plausible. I think it's fun. And I like the little details, especially about the Beetlegeist star and how it kind of matches the same story that he's telling of Batman suffering that fate that that Orion does. It's really cool. Yay. Yeah. So Um, uh, can I ask you a question? How did Orion died because he was poisoned? Yeah. It's kind of generic. Could apply to a lot of people. Anyway, it's interesting. Cool. Plausible. (laughs) All right. So rather than perform a cheesy bit that Spencer wrote, I actually have another idea, guys. Hey, you were supposed to say hilarious, not cheesy. What's your idea, Michael? Our last theory of the episode is about Stranger Things, and it references events that happen in season four. So consider this a spoiler warning. So basically, you're telling those who haven't watched season four of Stranger Things to just turn off the episode now? Uh, Didn't think that all the way through, did you? Okay, if you aren't cut up with Stranger Things, don't stop the episode until after these next two ads play. Then you can skip ahead to the end of the episode. I have a feeling that Spencer just happened to come across some fascinating movie detail that he wants to share with everyone. Oh, and we have an exciting episode next week that we want to tease as well, so don't miss that either. You guys realize we just did the thing that Michael tried to avoid, right? We performed a cheese I mean, a hilarious bit that I wrote. I do not get paid enough to do this show. Wait, you get paid? Uh, we'll be right back after this message break. Monsters are as old as humanity itself. Monsters embody our fears. Yet, they help us define the boundaries of what it means to be human. We know most monsters aren't real. Yet, we can use monsters to learn about reality. Psychology, biology, folklore, literature, critical thinking... We're on a journey to learn about the world through the lens of monsters. And we hope you'll come along with us. Subscribe at monstertalk.org. There is a corner of Los Angeles where dreams are brought to life. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. Made in bars! Top of the world! Where legends are made. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! 
For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories. Tales of heroism, villainy, betrayal, passion, tragedy and triumph that when sewn together form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood. Available now wherever you get podcasts. Laura and so I. We finished it just, just last night. Finished season four. Oh, I'm dying things. to talk last to you guys. Night. We are not going to talk about all of it because we have to record that because it will be yeah. a Patreon exclusive. Uh, mm-hmm. For those who are unaware, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash fan theory cues. And patrons at a certain level, I believe $5 a month, get access to every single piece of bonus content that we produce. One of which will be our recorded discussion, a complete record of what we say about the entire Stranger Things series from season one to season four, and perhaps our predictions for season five. It's going to be great, you guys. Maybe even throw in some fan theories of what's coming up. Oh, I've got so many. Possibly. I might almost, might even come up with my own about how 11 is actually 12 and 12 is actually seven. But anyway, uh, the name of this theory is called Stranger Things and Time Theory. Spoilers ahead. Written by Nia Maudai. So this person says, I haven't figured out how this all strings together yet, so bear with me. The upside down looks very different when one initially lands there. It's a barren landscape looking completely different from the upside down we know. When the older kids' crew are on the Upside Down in Episode 7 of Season 4, it becomes a central element that the time stops on the day Will is taken in 1983. There's never any mention of how structures like houses and cars are in the Upside Down. No one is there to build them. We've never seen anything appear. Robin specifically mentions the Upside Down is the same as our world, just without people. When the older kids are in the forest, there are leaves on the ground, how is this possible if everything in the Upside Down is dead? It would suggest that the trees were alive at some point semi-recently. Vecna's goal is to be a predator for good. Remove the unnatural structure humans have imposed on the world, like time, and also people. There are about a million allusions to the importance of time throughout the series. At the end of Season 4, Volume 2, the Upside Down breaks through. There's always those weird things floating in the air of the Upside Down. They appear at the end of Season 4, Volume 2, after the Upside Down breaks into the normal world, but it seems that it's ash versus just weird Upside Down air. This leads to my conclusion. The Upside Down that we know isn't actually another dimension. It's a parallel timeline where Vecna has achieved his goal. Kind of like the two 1985s in Back to the Future 2 where Biff travels to the past, gives the sports almanac to his past self, therefore changing the present. 1983 isn't frozen in time. Or maybe it is? It's the day that Vecna achieved his goal in the timeline he's in. That's the, as an example, 2015 Biff gives the almanac to his 1955 self date. The convergence date is something that happens in the show's present, so the Biff gets the almanac in 2015 date. That explains no people, the leaves, the ash in the upside down, etc. It's the normal world, just after Vecna wins. Not sure how all of this happens, but would love your thoughts. Also, Vecna is obsessed with Black Widows. The large ones he's obsessed with are the females. Black Widows are known for killing their males after mating. Obviously, I don't think Eleven and One are mating, but I think there's some foreshadowing there. If Vecna so badly wants to be a Black Widow, a female will kill him. That's clever. Also, something just to add... A black widow has a little red spot on its tummy that looks like an hourglass. I just thought of that. Y'all know? Yep. So Time. before we before we talk about this, would you mind summarizing what the overall yeah. point of the theory is? Sure, absolutely. So basically what they're saying is there's like a, a divergence in time. And in a particular timeline... Vecna wins. So let's let's not even consider Eleven and crew meddling with him. He succeeds in his goal. And when that happens, basically 
what we can assume is about to happen in Hawkins as we end season four, the upside down breaks into the real world, turns everything gray and dead. And that is what the upside down actually is. It's another timeline where Vecna succeeded at a different point in time, and it has been turned into the upside down from the upside down, essentially. (laughs) See, this is weird to me because it's specifically stated by Nancy. This, the upside down is the day that Will disappeared. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious about like, so why what would be the what's the connection there so well it's just that's what they're saying like just imagine that that the upside down that we see is frozen in time on the day that will disappears but in the timelines let's say that there are two timelines now the timeline that makes up the upside down has different similar events but different enough to where that it is taking place in a time when Vecna succeeds at that point in 1983. Vecna hasn't so we're succeeded saying that maybe in- the event of Vecna succeeding in that parallel time happens to coincide with and bring Will over into that parallel time, which makes Vecna aware of our timeline and make him go oh i need to go conquer that one too perhaps this doesn't get that specific it's just positing that there are two timelines actually he's from our timeline yeah well right He, he timeline our timeline the present timeline and this theoretical alternative timeline that we see in the upside down have the same they're saying that they have the same events leading up to a certain point. They don't branch off yet. But at a certain point, one branches off, not one, the character, but one of the timelines branches off and Vecna succeeds much sooner, much earlier than the timeline that we all know currently. Mm-hmm. Since and the upside something... down is present or since the defeated ashy gray timeline exists in 1983, he must have succeeded earlier to accomplish that by that point than he is accomplishing it currently in 1986. But if in the original timeline, the one where he supposedly succeeds earlier, how how is that, like, how does he succeed there? Because, like, the upside down that we see in, in the tra- timeline represented on the show, the upside down has upside down Hawkins in it. So in the original timeline, that would have to be a completely different dimension from the original Hawkins. And he would have to bring it in to the upside down. So are we saying that, that the upside down for the original timeline becomes the upside down for the timeline we see in the show? No, I think what this person is saying, the original upside down, if, if events play out similarly, in that other timeline, they're saying that the upside down is what we see when one initially gets blasted into that other dimension. And those that lava, rock, mountain area is what eventually breaks into Hawkins in 1983 in the upside down that we see. Okay, well, they also said at one point in the theory that when the upside down breaks through, we see what they say, quote unquote, those weird things floating in the air. And they say it's, it's ash in, in the like, in our timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Versus what they call weird upside down air. Well, Mm -hmm. in the upside down, it's ash as well. It's not just weird air. It's what's causing that because that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to say is, is whenever we see that one is first sent back, we see that there's, it's like covered in dark clouds and there's lightning everywhere. And that makes me think that it's like a very volcanic dimension or planet or whatever it is, because around volcanoes, a lot of times you'll get these storms that have a lot of lightning and stuff like that. And the ash from whenever the volcanoes are exploding, Mm -hmm. especially if it's constantly. So 
it makes me think that all of it's ash and it comes from just the the sheer volume of, of volcanic activity in what we're calling the upside down is so immense that it just covers the entire world with ash. And so that's why it looks the way it does. Mm-hmm. It's weird, though, that it's not doing the effect that happened at Pompeii, that that ash is so heavy, it coats yeah. things and totally covers things. It, that's not happening. Yeah. I, I personally don't think, I don't know what it is. I don't think that it's ash. I think that it's it's something else because, like you said, if it would, if it's constantly raining this stuff, which it is, that's just a characteristic. Anytime we're in the upside down, we see this these little spark, speckly things floating around. If that was constantly happening, it would accumulate at some point, and it doesn't. But that's not really you know one way or the other with the theory itself. But does does everybody is everybody following at this point at least somewhat as what the concept this person is saying kind of i'm still i'm trying to reason of why why does it coincide the date in the upside down coincide with the date that will crossed over i don't know okay yeah because um, that was something i've been trying to figure out since i watched watched this season and i honestly still haven't landed on an answer with that I'm, i was hoping that we would get more information on it in the next season yeah so let me just kind of repeat this one sentence towards the end and i think the back to the future analogy kind of maybe being mixed in there kind of messed some of the clarity up a little yeah, bit yeah it's muddied um, the, so, me up at least. so just just use that as a as kind of like a a baseboard of this is an example of okay when biff goes to the future he gets the almanac comes back now we have two separate timelines one where biff has the the thing and one where he doesn't and two things Mm -hmm. those timelines go completely different ways okay so just leave it at that at that okay so upside down it's parallel timeline where vecna achieved his goal 1983 is the day that vecna achieved his goal in the timeline he's in okay okay that con- the convergence date where the two lines, two timelines converge, is something that happens in the show's present. That explains no people, the leaves, the ash, and the upside down, etc. It's the normal world just after Vecna wins. And that's why they say, not sure how this happens, but I'll ever woman's thoughts. So, whether or not, so there's also saying they're not claiming that the convergence date, that the date that Vecna wins in his timeline is also the same date that Will goes missing. Maybe there is no Will in that timeline. We don't know. They're just saying that it happens to coincide with the date that Will goes missing in our time. Not even OP understands their own theory. Right. <laughs> so they have an idea. They just haven't thought of that. But let's look at some comments here because some people add, add some additional stuff to help support it or think, three, uh, okay. think it out. Multiverse sanity. I've thought this too. They kind of toy with this idea in season one where they speculated on a more traditional model of the multiverse. Possible foreshadowing? So far, we've seen three distinct landscapes for the Upside Down. When Eleven pushed one through the portal, he was in what appeared to be a non-physical hellscape. It's extremely damaging to living creatures as one got severe burns from the lightning. Then one is on what appears to be a desert planet inhabited only by a few small demo-creatures. And then the Mind Flayer. Then we have the Upside Down as we see it now, which is the one that mimics Hawkins from 1983. So with your theory, the non-physical state appears to be possibly the realm between realms, sort of hyperspace, if you will. The desert plain with the Mind Flayer is just a world that the Mind Flayer conquered, or possibly the Mind Flayer's home. Vecna specifically states that it's a world untouched by man. After fusing with the Mind Flayer, he went on to conquer Earth, but in a separate universe. This is the universe we see as the Upside Down in the bulk of the show. So where's all the bodies? We see in Season 3 that people can be affected by the Mind Flayer and are consumed by him, eventually becoming puddles of formless flesh. So all the vines and stuff, that's the remains of the people of that world. Gross. So the LP comes back and says, Wow, you're right about the vines. I can't unmake that connection now. My theory was more specific to time and less to a traditional multiverse. The multiverse scenario can't explain how Vecna got from Desert Planet to the better-known version of the Upside Down. Vecna specifically says he sought Eleven's power to open gates, so interdimensional travel from the desert planet to the Upside Down would have been impossible before Season 3. 
If Vecna was has been the master of puppets this entire time, the timeline doesn't work. Granted, the desert planet could be an actual planet, making Vecna a world hopper of sorts. That would be a lot of ground to cover in Season 5, and I personally haven't seen a lot of groundwork for that kind of storyline. Uh, my suggestion is that the Upside Down is either an alternate timeline or the near future in this dimension. So that's an interesting way to look at it, too, is except for the fact that we have an actual date given by that one scene in Nancy's room, you could see this almost as a peek at the future of what Hawkins will look like as we end Season 4 with all of the fires and the color draining from Hawkins and the ash following. Okay, one more comment. Or, Michael, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, yeah, but the fact that we do get that date kind of throws all that out the door. Which you can conveniently (laughs) make the case that uh, the reason is because it's a separate timeline. So that's why they come up with this idea. But here we go. Last, Last comment. Uh, this is from Saint Furachalal. I think it's a <laughs> multiversal time loop, if that makes sense. There's a bit in the exposition that men- mentions that Vecna sees Alice having made him who he is, not blaming him, but that he made him the hive mind, or she, whatever, uh, one with the mind flare by, by my understanding. He's not really angry, not, you may be a monster. No, you just, you gave this to me. Couple of that with the vision of the mind flare Hector has as a boy, Presumably, Hector. Henry? I think... <laughs> yeah, I think it's supposed to be Henry. <laughs> Couple of that with a vision of the Mind Flayer Henry has as a boy, presumably as his powers are still budding. At some point in that scene, he mentioned he could unmake the rules of reality. That makes him effectively God. It's not just reaching into minds to bring out worse memories. That's just what he does now because he's predatory. He can also plant ideas, seeds. He calls Papa the puppet master, but he's been playing fifth dimensional chess since the mind flayer pulled his strings and had him draw a portrait as the original puppet master. So Laura, what do you think? What do you think? Like, do you, do you have some questions or some points to bring up? I can't, I can't contribute right now. (laughs) Michael, how about you? I feel like, I feel like this is something that we can't really effectively answer one way or the other or even speculate on really until we get some more information from season five because this is just there's too many holes in this too many unanswered things yeah i don't know if i would say holes but you do have a point about unanswered questions yeah that's what i was meaning it's just honestly can't really make a judgment on this in the state that it's in right now with the information that we have at the moment we're gonna have to wait two years for season five to come out to really get some answers for this theory. I think they would have been better served. They could have, I think if I had like two days and I could take this and I could probably like strip it down to its basis form and maybe with an illustration kind of demonstrate what I think this person is trying to convey. But since we're basing our decisions off of this person's theory and how they wrote it, I won't do that. So yeah, who wants honestly, to go first? I'm, I'm ready to rate. Yeah, you're not. You don't need to be lawyering the point. You need to just read the theory and then rate it. Of well, how I the might, theory's written. I might need to <laughs> figure out how I. You read. apparently you have been feeling the need to lawyer some points lately. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to I'll go, first? go first on this. Okay. So I, I've said before, I am always a fan of like multiverse stuff, time timey-wimey stuff, (laughs) like all the craziness that comes with time manipulation and things like that. But I can't do anything other than preposterous on this because I I genuinely feel dumber having listened to all of this. It just doesn't make any sense to me at the, in the state that it's in. I can't get what this person is trying to say. And and I don't really see any purpose in pursuing it further until we, have more information so there's not even a chance in your mind that there are two timelines where Vecna succeeds in one earlier than the other and it's just possible that the one where he succeeds at an earlier time than the other timeline is the upside down it's possible but honestly that doesn't change my rating because I, I genuinely just feel dumber listening to all of this. I'm going to have to give this uh, a preposterous 
and I think I'm kind of being biased because I have my own theory of what's going on. And I was mm-hmm. saving that to talk about on our Patreon episode about our Stranger Things discussion. And I'm more biased toward my theory. <laughs> I'm curious to see if you have the same theory I do, because I have a theory as well. Okay. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and we tend to think alike on these, Michael. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's very possible. I, I don't understand how there's not even... I, I, you're, I, I don't this, understand this episode, how... This episode's weird. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what, 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 how, what, how what you, you think, could think that... Well, what listen, I, I don't think... And what is preposterous. I don't understand how you could think that this is even anything more than preposterous, yet the Batman Beetlejuice theory you just pooped all over. Because it poop. This is the exact, I feel the exact same, op- I feel the exact opposite as you do right now and Lara regarding the two theories. Because how, with all the things that we've seen in this show, all the mind-blowing bizarre every episode is something oh my what it's not possible that the upside down just happens to be a secondary timeline where vecna succeeds earlier than he does in the main timeline that we see if events are different in a separate timeline they happen a different way butterfly effect whatever will forgets to tie his shoelaces and he trips and scrapes his knee and it doesn't happen to meet a friend at a particular time he's supposed to meet him. And so events happen differently in another time period. Quit bringing Ashton Kutcher into this <laughs> podcast. I just, I just I just feel like this is like vastly overcomplicating something that's probably not as complex as they're trying to make I it don't, out to be. But the but way that they travel from the their real world into the upside down that does not seem like time travel yeah. in the traditional this, sense of time no. travel. They're not saying this is time travel. That looks interdimensional, which is what they're calling it. They're calling it interdimensional. This is yeah. they're not this is not a time travel theory. Isn't it time travel to go into another timeline? I don't know. I thought time travel is to go forward and backward in time. You just talked about the whole thing with Back to the Future, which is a time travel show. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then I going also into said, two different realities. I, I also said which were two different timelines. I also said use that just as and they don't go through a portal. A comparison thing. <laughs> that what one might argue that the a DeLorean is a portal on wheels. Where we're going, we no, don't need portals. No one would not. No um, one wouldn't no, argue I, I just, that. I can't in my mind. <laughs> put together I mean, but i'm right. not gonna let so, here's the thing but, though here's the difference between your timeline spencer and this timeline laura you are allowed to say what you want the thing is you can't tell me i'm wrong for saying what i said unless Agreed. it's wrong i'm gonna say this is plausible like you have both so eloquently stated there is clearly still a lot of unanswered questions Whether you have your theories or not, nothing has been confirmed. Just like it has not been confirmed that there is no Scarecrow in Batman's universe, it has not been confirmed that this is not a second timeline. You can't use the argument once when it's convenient and not... Oh, we can't use your argument against you. No, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) That's what I heard. That's exactly what you're saying. (laughs) No, your argument for the plausibility of the Batman theory is that... It's possible that Scarecrow eventually comes along. We haven't been, it has not been disproven. And so I'm saying that it has not been disproven that this is not an alternate timeline. So you can't just automatically say, if, if you're going to use the same flow of logic. Anyway, um, this I'm is pl- honestly not saying this is, an, this is not an alternate timeline. I, I, I said there's not enough information for me to make a determination. And that's not, I mean, that's really where I get the preposterous rating because. I it just there was a lot of information that wasn't connected. And so that's where it gets preposterous. There is I, I'll admit there's a possibility it is another timeline. I personally don't think that's gonna be the case based off of my my own theory. But I mean we'll see. You know, we just have to, like I said, wait two years for them to make this last season and find out. Okay. I think that this is plausible that it's a parallel timeline where Vecna has achieved his goal only earlier because the events that unfolded are different okay 
I believe that is all. Laura? Spencer? Michael? Guys? I think after all that we've been through, it is probably (laughs) time to bring this episode to a close. However, please, before we do, I do want to point out that I was scrolling Reddit the other day when I should have been working, and I came across this detail about the Star Wars movie Rogue One. Have y'all seen Rogue One? I love Rogue One. Tread very carefully with what you're about to say, because Rogue (laughs) One is one of my favorite Star Wars movies. I love it. And I will fight you. Okay, well, this is going to... This is a test. This is going to test... How big of a fan you are, because if you didn't know this detail, you may need to question your dedication to this movie. So I I saw that Hornwalker, the person on Reddit by the name of Hornwalker, they pointed out this detail that I completely missed when I watched it. And I suspect y'all missed out on it when you saw it, too. But Hornwalker says that the title of the movie Rogue One, a Star Wars story, was a red herring. In fact, the rogues lost. (laughs) (laughs) rogue did not win rogue lost (laughs) rogue lost a star wars story (laughs) go ahead michael fight him (laughs) michael's done (laughs) if we had lavalier mics on right now michael would be taking it off i was i i was shaking my head so much that my airpod came out (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, well, this has been Fan Theory Queries. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. Join us next time as we analyze more fan theories and ask queries such as... Uh, I, I actually, I don't know what we're talking about next week. Why is that? Because next episode, the guys from the movie podcast Two Chunks and a Hunk will be joining us to present theories they chose. Until then, go listen to some of the episodes of Two Chunks and a Hunk, like their review of Thor Love and Thunder, or most recently, Nope, and get to know Carter, Jordan, and Doge. Fan Theory Queries is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Art of History, Big Picture Science, and I Know What Scares You.